welcome back to Nice People Are Nice. This week we're going to be talking about the Me Too campaign, which was started by Tarana Burke in 2007, but has recently made a lot of headlines. And I think we're just going to talk about the campaign, um, basically how it's been in the media and all of the stories and people who have come forward about Harvey Weinstein. Then we're going to talk about a few of our own personal experiences, and then we're just going to discuss some resources. Exactly. Now, Christina, I actually like did not realize until recently that it started with, I don't even know her name. Uh, Tarana. Tarana, yes. So do you want to talk about her more? Because like it sounds like it's been a long time she's been working towards this. Yeah, so um, I actually didn't know it was her campaign before either. I thought this was something that was started by, I think it was Rose McGowan on Twitter. I've seen a lot of articles with um, Tarana's information, and I watched a couple of videos with her interview, and she's been working with children for, I believe, 25 years, um, you know, working with them and supporting them. And so I don't know much about her other than the fact that she's been an advocate and um, basically a social worker for 25 plus years. And she created this campaign in 2007, so 10 years ago. Wow. I need to know more about her. Yeah, but I think, and that just kind of sparks another conversation that I've seen a lot, which is, um, you know, giving credit where credit is due. And I think that's part of the whole conversation of Me Too as well. And so I think I'm just glad that I feel horrible. I didn't even know much about her and I didn't even know her name. So I am glad that you could tell us about that. So that is awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to know more about her. I mean, that's a pretty powerful campaign to start. And I'm really glad it's getting the time and attention that it deserves. Yeah. And um, I think for me, like, you know, we were both advocates for Sark in college. So I feel like we've, you know, been thinking about this and for a long, long time. And so to me, it like right. didn't feel all that surprising, but I'm just glad that people are surprised by it and they're being, you know, in a way educated about the impact that this gross behavior has on the world. <laughs> right. And I feel like, you know, we were both advocates at the Student Advocacy Resource Center on the University of Montana campus where we worked with survivors and um, victims of sexual assault, however you identify, also with people who experience discrimination, uh, racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. So I feel like working there, I I think how the, I guess, community has changed and how, I guess, the culture has changed um, since I worked there, which was Let's see how many years ago, like three or four years ago. Isn't that scary? It's changed so much. (laughs) I know we're getting old. (laughs) So um, I think it's great, though, because I feel like a lot more people talk about it. I feel like it's a lot more in the open. I do think we have a long, long way to go on improvement on changing rape culture and making a culture that's supportive of survivors or victims, however you want to define yourself. I think it's pretty great that people are calling out victim blaming. People are calling out how things are defined as sexual assault. Yeah, because um, I people don't under, didn't understand that when I was 
an advocate. Yeah, and I still think that there's things that I am like, you know, fuzzy on because there was a, a study done, and I'll have I'll have to figure out the exact study and put a link in the description for this. But it was like when asking women if they had been sexually assaulted, a minority of women would say no. But then if you asked them, you know. Uh, different phrases that were considered sexual assault they would say yes so they have been but they just didn't realize it if that makes sense like right and i think another new thing that i was just watching today i think there is a legislator who is trying to pass this bill that um forgive me for not knowing her name um but it would make it illegal for um someone to take off a condom during sex without informing their partner um that could be considered sexual assault and a lot of people are in uproar about it but i feel like it calls into question consent and i really do think that is a form of sexual assault you can't just poke a hole in a condom or take it off during sex i guess it's called stealthing yeah that's gross i've heard that of people doing that i'm really glad that because that totally changes your terms of consent because if you consent with the these qualifications like okay we need to have a condom you know at any time i can change my mind you know like and then you take it off that's really gross and slimy and obviously you could impregnate someone or give them diseases without their knowledge like exactly that is so gross good for her yeah right i want to we should look up who yeah i can google it real quick so that's pretty awesome. I think, you know, why is it 2017 and we're just now talking about this? But it is great that we're talking about this. Yes. And so we just found the article, you guys. It's on the Los Angeles Times, and it's Assemblywoman Christina Garcia uh, of California. I said California weird. Of California. California. Of cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, you know, wonderful that she's bringing it to Mm-hmm. I think that's you awesome. Know, our attention. Because that's something where, yeah, it's just like, seriously? I, that's so gross. Like, I can only imagine being in that position and just feeling horrified. And, like, again, because, like, you know, the thing with sexual assault... <laughs> the thing with sexual assault and rape is that it's about power dynamics, you know? Right. So it's like that person is like, oh, I have more power in this situation because she is ignorant and unaware or they are ignorant or unaware okay i really have a problem with how our justice system views you know i guess your responsibility in a situation if you aren't aware that something is a crime like i have a really big problem with that um i guess approach to somebody's defense um because i don't feel like if i um you know rob someone or steal their car that I can just say well I didn't know that was a crime and you know that's a good enough defense for me to get away with what I did I think that's total bullshit yeah and like I feel like it's go ahead oh I was just gonna say um like I feel like that has been the defense of like every high profile case I think even including the one with uh the quarterback from our school from right. University of Montana. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Johnson. What, That's his name. I guess what his defense team 
determined is that what he he didn't know that what he was doing was sexual assault therefore he's not culpable and i think that is total bullshit and i hope he rots in a special layer of hell i think he will because i think that there's no way he didn't know that what he was doing was sexual assault now with that being said i still think it's really our culture's responsibility our parents responsibility you know if you're a parent your responsibility to educate the community and the people around you what is sexual assault um you know just basically what consent is you know because we don't talk about that enough and it really is a shame that we don't yeah and i think just describing like it seems like to me it feels like common sense like you wouldn't do harm to someone like even it just seems weird like it just seems gross that someone would do like would say i didn't know it's like but they were passed out they were asleep they said no and yet you still thought it was okay you didn't get any gross feelings inside of you that said this is wrong or maybe they didn't even say no they didn't say yes you know yeah it's just like uh you really have that moral compass where it's like but that's again like you said it's part of our society when you know people view women's bodies as commodities and for theirs to take then it's it is confusing and then like in the case of Jordan Johnson, when they basically say, yeah, he did rape her. He just didn't know it was rape. When you really have literally no consequences for your actions. Right. When you have no fear that you're going to go to jail or that there's going to be anything done, then of course you're just going to go ahead and take the thing that you want. I think another important statistic is or two important statistics and I need to find the specific ones but the first one is that the majority like a high percentage in the 90s of perpetrators in the 90 percentile of perpetrators do not go to not, prison for their crime I believe it is do not spend one single day in prison <laughs> like right no time. and it's like uh why are we giving these people um, probation? Why mm-hmm. are they just getting a fine? Like right. I've seen multiple, multiple, multiple cases of uh, rapists getting no jail time. I mean, there was that Brock Turner. There's local cases here in Montana where teachers have sexually assaulted their students and they got suspended and got a fine and fired from the school, but no jail time. Mm -hmm. There's actually two teachers, one a couple years ago in Frenchtown, and now, just a couple days ago, another Frenchtown teacher sexually assaulted a student, and, you know, he has not been punished. And I just, I, I mean, even in my own personal experience, the person who sexually assaulted me as a child, um, did not get any punishment whatsoever. So it's just, it's I, we live in a culture where we don't hold them accountable. And it's like, like what was, what was the case? Um, I think it was, was it a Montana case where the judge was like, well, 
you know, she was leading him on. And it was a case where it was a student teacher and she Uh was young, under 16, I believe. Like, I think she was 14 or something. There was, um, I can't remember her age, but it was in Billings. There was a teacher, and this judge said that this student who was underage was acting older than her chronological age, which is fucking bullshit. And if a person, a student, somebody underage, somebody who cannot legally consent is coming on to you as an adult, that doesn't give you the right to commit a crime and sexually assault this person because they cannot legally consent. They may be coming on to you. They may be, you know, flirting with you, telling you that you they want to have sex with you. It doesn't fucking right. matter. And I don't give a shit. Like, you should, as an adult, know right from wrong, know what you should do. Like, this is... Ugh, and I get fired up about that. Oh, <laughs> and it's like that's why the, re- the that's the reason you are considered an adult at 18 is to protect juveniles because you don't know what you want when you're in the heightened states of puberty and you're so young when you're 18. Like I'm 26 and I feel like I'm young and stupid. I can only <laughs> imagine what I would be at the age of 16, you know? And, and I feel like-, like our culture just makes it like if you're a young man and you're sexually assaulted by a teacher, um, they make it like, oh, like a, I guess, a coming of age, like every young boy's fantasy is to have sex with an older woman. And while I'm not, have <laughs> never been a young male, I'm sure that is part of some young male's fantasies, but you should never, that doesn't make it okay for older women to sexually assault these young men. No, because they are in, in a position of power. Right. And, and and exactly. Like, it's just, it all comes back to the society. Like, you have a Van Halen song that's like, I'm hot for teacher. You're and, right. And, you know, like, yeah. In every teen movie, it's like the hot substitute teacher. And she takes advantage of the boys. And they're like, whatever. Yeah. And if the tables were turned, you yeah. know, a young female and a young adult teacher which also pretty little liars that is a scenario and that's that show is that she's a young student and he's a young adult teacher and it's like why are we normalizing this behavior and you know romanticizing this because i don't think that it's i just think it's so wrong you can't consent when you're at a certain age yeah and that is in place to protect you and your children and i just don't get it i mean it's very disheartening that our culture like just makes it so okay i mean look at all the movies all the music videos where people are doing drugs getting drunk and you know it's normal for them to have sex with each other when they're intoxicated when they're high Right. It's that party culture kind of thing. Right. And, you know, when you are under the influence, you can't consent. I just think we need to make a lot of changes. We need to have more conversations. We need to do a lot of education. I think it has gotten better, but then at the same time, it's like heightened new weird things like stealthing. Like, that's not something we really ever thought about. I don't. I don't. I mean, I know we discussed, like, using condoms 
and having that conversation and that having that sort of consent, but we never talked about stealthing. That is yeah. like a new term to that me. That is like yeah, exactly. Altogether. So things are evolving and and it's also hard because it's like, you know, you, at the base of society, you know, we live in a patriarchal society, meaning that it is assumed that in relationships, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, that men hold more power than women, you know, like that is kind of the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's kind of reinforced by the objectification of women's bodies and things like that. And, you know, men's bodies are objectified too, but I don't think on the same level in everyday oh, life no. as no. women. Um, you know, you don't have Hardy's commercials with uh, guys in Speedos eating a hamburger on a car, you know? And and it's hard for me, because <laughs> yeah. like, I like for me, I love like hip hop and I love me- like that kind of music, but then also it's like you watch the music videos and you just want to barf, because it's like, all it is is like, one guy singing right. with in a pool with like half naked ladies licking him on the face the whole time and you're just like yeah <laughs> like uh, i don't know yeah he, yeah how do you show your love and you know appreciation for that art and then you're just like why is that a part of the culture that we have to demean certain mm-hmm. women and you know it, there's a lot of sides to that conversation as well and yeah. i think while it's okay for women to be sexual and, you know, want to be a sexual being, it's like, how do we... <laughs> how do we rectify it? Yeah, because, yeah, like, I, you know, like, I watched Misrepresentation, and if you guys haven't watched it, I would definitely recommend it. And it's a documentary just talking about, basically, the objectification of women's bodies in media. And, you know, it, there is a weird thing, because it's, like, on one side, and, you know, feminism is a is a spectrum you're gonna have people who believe very different things but all identify as feminist so you have some people who are like you know what if a woman is being sexual and it's of her own free will and she's doing it in an empowered way good for her go for it but then you know there's some people who feel like yeah but she should really be embracing more than just her body like she needs to find power past her body you know using her mind using um, her strength in other ways And I kind of feel like I fall in between where I'm like, yeah, if you feel sexy and you want to, like, go out and do it, awesome. But also, like, I feel like you do have more power than just your body. Like, you have, you're kind, you're smart, you know, you've got other things going on. And I think in our culture, you're, like, women's power comes from their bodies more than their ideas and thoughts. And I feel like this is a catalyst right now. And especially, like, even in the years before Me Too, of, like, people becoming more empowered and saying, yeah, I'm sexy, but I'm also, you know, this juggernaut who is going to donate a bunch of money to charity with all of this, you know, with all the stuff I've done. And I want to help women in low-income areas get education and things like that. So Right, things aren't mutually exclusive. It's like you can be a sexual being, but also be a smart kind caring woman exactly (laughs) but i mean there's also the issue of you know our male society our patriarchal society expecting a certain image from a woman like you're only considered sexy if you have a b and c look a b and c you know and then Mm -hmm. when you meet those expectations you're considered a whore a slut a skank you know not a yeah good woman and quote unquote so 
It is very confusing. It is very confusing when it's like you have these role models and celebrities who are famous because they're beautiful and they show off their body. But, you know, they're talented as well. I shouldn't just say because of that. But they get. I feel like artists and actresses, celebrities do get more attention when they are, quote unquote, like a 10 you know right if they are stereotypically beautiful exactly and then when conventionally beautiful yes and then when women are like okay well people seem to like this i'm gonna act like that like you said they're labeled a slut (laughs) and like oh i was mimicking my role model is that not okay (laughs) right so back to the me too campaign yes sorry we got a little far we got a little sidetracked (laughs) We went off on a tangent there, but it's sort of, it's all related. So, um, do you want to talk about what it means to you, what you've shared, what you haven't shared, your feelings about the campaign? Yeah. So I am one of those people who I saw it and I was like, the I think you might've been the first person I saw it on Facebook. And I was like, what does this mean? And I kind of passed over it and then I kept seeing it and I was like, oh, let me click on this trending and see what it is all about. And then I was like, okay, I learned more about it and for me, like, I I have probably experienced more sexual harassment than assault. And I don't know. I, there's, like, such a spectrum of people who have feelings about the Me Too campaign, too. But I was like, you know, right. I just kind of want to listen and, you know, support others. Because in a way, like, although, you know, sexual harassment is annoying, I don't feel like I've ever been, like, in danger or, like, that frightened of it. And so I didn't want to diminish right. what other people were saying. And so I never posted okay. anything. But, you know, and I think that's fair. I don't, I think the beauty of this campaign to me, the way I have taken it, is that, you know, it's empowering because it's giving you the right and the option to share or not share. I mean, it's exactly. your story. Nobody's going to force you or disempower you to force you to share your experiences. You know, I think that's just as wonderful as people sharing. And although it's, you know, horrifying, the reality of sexual assault and sexual harassment and how I've never met a woman that has not been harassed or assaulted. Yeah. I think it's a lot more common than we think it's a very unreported probably the most unreported crime and i just i hope it opens people's eyes about reality i started experiencing (laughs) sexual harassment basically like when i was 12 or 13 and puberty started happening if they hadn't experienced things earlier i'm sure that's kind of when like the catalyst started for them you know right it's like, and oh, my body is changing. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Like what you said. I don't think any woman has not been harassed. So Right. And I think, you know, from my personal experience, I was sexually assaulted as a young girl. Um, my perpetrator sexually assaulted me several times. It was a person that was trusted by the family, you know, um, as is the reality for most Yep. People who are sexually assaulted, they know their perpetrator. Um, he never got in trouble. I was a young girl, very, very young. I was between, I think it started when I was two, ended when I was three, almost four. And, uh, you know, it has shaped my whole life in, in some good ways and some horrible ways. Yeah. I st- 
still have nightmares. I still have some PTSD from that. And, you know, I don't, what's awful is that like, I don't remember all the details cause I was so young, mm-hmm. but I remember, you know, right. the what, Yeah. I don't remember all the ins and outs of what happened to me, but, um, you know, even the trauma of going to have, uh, having to go get a pelvic exam as right. a, a three-year-old and to see if what I was telling my parents was truth, even though my parents believed me that, you know, you need physical evidence. And he definitely never got in trouble, so it sucks. But... Well, thank you for sharing, Christina. Yeah. That is really hard, and I can only imagine. Like, just talking about it is its own hurdle. And I am sure that people appreciate what you are telling them. And if they've experienced it, maybe it gives them some comfort, and maybe they can talk to someone as well. Thanks. I really hope, I mean, I hope people can come forward and, um, in their own time, and maybe it will help them heal I know that talking about it for me has been a challenge, um, but I've been supported by my family from a young age to share, you know, my feelings about it when I'm having a hard time about it because it has helped me heal. That's Um, good. But unfortunately, you know, the sexual harassment did not stop. That was not an isolated incident. Although I was not sexually assaulted after that, I've had my fair share of sexual harassment Mm -hmm. as a child, as an adult. um, You know, it just has not stopped. And I want to put it out there that I don't think that all men are horrible. And I don't think that all men are perpetrators. There's a lot of men in my life that I love and trust and would never do any of those things. Um, But all of the people who have perpetrated against me were all men. So yeah, um, that is the reality. That's why we're talking about it from a female perspective. That's why we're not talking about men who have been sexually assaulted, although that is a very, very important subject. I think mm-hmm. this campaign is for women to come forward because, um, you know, in this situation with the Harvey Weinstein, it was a male perpetrator against a female. So although I find it very, 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 very extremely close to my heart and important that men come forward as well, um, I think right now we're talking about women coming forward. And I think just from our perspectives as being women, and like you said, like being women who have experienced that from men. And there was someone who posted on Facebook and I thought it was a really interesting post and it was like, yes, I am a man and I've been in a bar and I have been harassed by women who I don't want them to talk to me. You know, people have pinched my butt. And he was like the, the difference being, and again, unacceptable behavior. No one should be doing that to anyone. But he said at all times, he never felt unsafe because he's a six foot six white guy who is huge, you know? Like, he he always had, in that situation, just from a physical standpoint, he always had the power to get himself safely out of the situation. And he said it was more of an annoyance than anything else. Like, he never felt, like, unsafe. And, of course, that's going to be different for every single person. Another study that comes to mind when you bring that up is 
Um, while for that situation, he may have felt like he had more power, and I don't want to, um, I guess, devalue or um, not or invalidate any man's experience with sexual assault. You know, everybody's experience is different. Their feelings are different. Um, a study that. I thought was really helpful because we were both resident assistants at the good old University of Montana. Um, And this is a pretty famous, um, I guess, group study is a teacher or um, the group leader poses a question to the audience of both males and females. What do you do on a daily basis to prevent yourself from being sexually assaulted? And at first they ask the men, And I remember from our um, experience with this question, the males in the room could only come up with not going to prison. Yep. And I don't think they came up with anything else. Nope. And then when they posed the question to the women, there was just hundreds of things that we Mm -hmm. do on a daily basis that are finally, like, ingrained in us to do from a young, um, as a young woman to an adult on what we are supposed to do to prevent sexual assault, which is totally fucked up because I don't think we should uh, prevent our own sexual assaults. Right. (laughs) Like we should be teaching people not to sexually assault people. And And I remember being, you know, as a resident assistant, you think that you're with like-minded people. Yeah. And I remember one of our trainings, there was a young man (laughs) who shall remain nameless. Yeah. I suppose. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we should protect his identity. Um, but he said, well, if you're wearing a very, you know, scantily clad outfit, aren't you inviting sexual assaults? And I just about fucking lost my mind in that training. And I don't know if you remember that. You know, yep. It, it was with all of the RAs. And then I remember I was working Sark one night at a booth. And we were at, it was a really, really awkward, really weird event at the university center. And the university center is basically like your student union building. And so there was an event and there was a comedian and she was really funny. She's like a feminist comedian. And then after that, they had the weirdest panel I have ever witnessed. And it was like lawyers who really awkwardly, I think were representing Rep- who had represented or were representing students accused of rape on campus. What the fuck? Yeah, it was very strange. And then they had um, another lawyer who I think represented victims or survivors of sexual assault. And then there was some other thing. And they were basically like the people who represented the rapists were like, hey, Title IX is stupid. What because- the fuck? And for those who don't know, so on campus, there's a there's this burden of proof that is different than in like a, a trial. A, what, would, what would it be? Like, like a, a court of law. Yeah, a court of law. And so basically in a court of law, burden of proof is like 99%. Like you have to be without a doubt sure that they are guilty or not guilty to give a verdict. But on campus, because of in Title IX. justice system. Yeah, their burden of proof is different. So basically... For in the case of a sexual assault, the burden of proof is 51 to 49. So if you are just a little bit more sure that they are guilty, they are guilty. 
when it's if called you aren't. And that is feather. Yeah. And that is to protect students because you do not want to be like you don't want to allow a sexual predator on your campus. That is why that exists. And uh, and because like Christina said, if you actually take your rapist to trial, the odds of him going to jail are like 99 percent, 90 percent of anything. And so and this is like this is university. You know, this is just the university saying, hey, you're not going to go to school here anymore. Or, hey, you're not going to go to these classes with the student because you are intimidating her and impeding her ability to learn, which is unconstitutional because of Title IX. So, long story which, short. Which, for those of you who don't know what Title IX are, it's a, you know, a law. Yeah. That Equal protects, opportunities. Yeah, protects certain, what they call protected classes. Yes. Right? So race, so sex, gender. people with disabilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sexual orientation. Exactly. Um, so that's like, Title IX is also why, like, there's a women's soccer team because there's a male football team. There is a women's basketball team because there's a male basketball team. That, you know, it's all kind of, like, equal opportunity. Anyways, long story short, this fucked up panel. So fucked up. Why did I even go? So stressed out. Uh, so all the lawyers making me mad even thinking about it. Yeah. So all the lawyers, you know, representing the rapists were like, well, this burden of proof is ridiculous. Like, I just can't believe that it's only 51% and they can get kicked out and their lives can be ruined. And it's like, this rapist has ruined someone else's life and it's impeding. Like they're scared. They are intimidated to be on campus. Okay. Yeah. And the thing is like perpetrators are going to do things over and over again because it's like 10% of the population doing all these assaults and harassment and you have like what 25 to 30 percent of the population being affected by that so that is a lot of perpetrating going on i feel like that number is low is it low well for the total population well i'm i'm saying that since it is a highly unreported crime right i feel like that percentage is probably higher that more people are being if you take into account the fact that people aren't actually reporting these things. Right. Right. So that's probably a low ball figure. <laughs> yeah. And so basically that was their argument. Not that you said it wrong because it is one in four typically in most studies. Right. But that is I just isn't... want people out there to know that it's a highly, highly unreported crime. Yes. Because no one believes women as, you right. know. People don't believe survivors. They nope. victim blame. They create this culture of not boys supporting will be victims. Boys. Right. And then they're, you know, it really fucking irritates me. I'm sorry for the swearing, but it really gets under my skin that we have a society, we have a culture that does not support its victims or survivors to come forward and, you know, say this happened to me. <clears throat> and then. And we sort of punish them for coming forward. You know, their name is drugged through the street. We talk about, well, did it really happen? Are they a credible person? How many partners did they have in their past? Uh, You know, basically put mud on their name and do everything in the power to make them feel invalidated. And then when they do come forward, we say, well, why why didn't you come forward sooner? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you uh, report this as soon as it happened? Well, gee, I don't know. Maybe because I, 
I'm not mm. fucking believed all the other times. I don't know. Because it's reality is not like Law and Order SBU. <laughs> right. As much Maybe as I was. love that show, that is not reality, people. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just really disturbing and gross. And the one thing I will say, going back to this panel, um, is finally the president of the student union. Is that how you? Is that what it would be? The student body president? That's what you would say. The yes. student body president stands up and he asks the lawyer, "All right, well, you know that proving sexual assault in a criminal case with the city or state." You know, it's basically impossible. It doesn't happen. So why wouldn't the burden of proof at a university, which is a separate entity that has, like, literally no criminal consequences at all, why should that adhere to the criminal cases? Like, don't we want to keep our students safe? He's like, and he basically was like, so do you agree or disagree that this happens to women at this rate? Well, I agree. Okay, so do you agree or disagree that perpetrators get consequences at this rate? Yeah, I agree. Do you see the do you see the the mismatch here? Maybe that's why the burden of proof is different on a co college campus as opposed to <laughs> And so it was just amazing. Right. I was just like, "Good. Put that fucking asshole in his fucking place." So, what are tips that we can give people to be good advocates? Like if someone comes up to them and they're like, Hey, I have something to tell you. It's really hard to tell people this. I think the first thing that anybody should ever do when somebody comes forward to them is just to believe them and listen. You don't mm -hmm. have to say anything. It's not just your job listen. to investigate. Right. You don't have to be the detective. Just believe them, support them. I think uh, the most invalidating experiences are those where you feel empowered and safe enough to tell somebody something and then that person just a doesn't believe you b um tries to make you feel like it's your fault <laughs> yeah. i just don't understand why people would do that but it happens so just believe the person you know i guess also educate yourself on the resources around your you and your community um because you know I'm ill-equipped. If somebody needs something that I can't provide, know your scope. I'm not a counselor. Sometimes people need more professionals. There's also a term that they use in our advocacy training called secondary survivors, meaning, you know, when someone gives you this heavy information, it also affects you. It can, you know, it's a lot to know that information and to be a support system for someone, and especially in a situation that you've never had to deal with before. Right. and that they've never maybe had to deal with before and it's very very stressful so like christina said it is really important to like um to know that you know you're not a counselor and it is okay to tell your friends like all right this has been really hard for me um and obviously very hard for you let's seek out someone who is a professional and kind of knows how we can move forward in a good way right if they feel like they can discuss that with totally the Mm -hmm. professional some people are not ready to do that so i think knowing your resources is a good thing um believing the person supporting the person helping them find resources you know it doesn't have to be cheesy but i always find it helpful to appreciate that somebody told you like i'm really sorry that this happened to you but um thank you for sharing this with me and trusting me enough to share this with me I 
can imagine that it's not easy to share. And I think going back to what you were saying, I think just listening and just like actively listening, hearing what they have to say. So there are some like national resources that we want to tell you guys about that are really helpful. And a, a lot of college campuses actually have centers like what we were advocates for called SARC. And a lot of them are called SARC. The acronym might stand for different things. So originally when I first started at SARC, it was actually the Sexual Assault Resource Center. Resource Center. And then it changed to, I think it changed like twice when I was there. And then, yeah, it ended with the Student Advocacy Resource Center. Right. And that was just because, awesomely, uh, SARC was becoming more intersectional and we were taking on things that included like discrimination, which is awesome. Go SARC. Way to be forward thinking. Yes. Um, but yeah, there. if you are on a college campus, there might be a resource center for you to check out. And those are very helpful because they can link you up to counseling on university grounds. They can probably hook you up if you have like an on-campus nursing station or a hospital. And then they should know resources within the community. So like if your friend wants to get a rape kit or something like that, or wants to talk to campus police, but not... Uh, you know, city or state police, or if they want to just talk to the Dean of Students about actions, like there's things that they can help you with. But nationally, there is the YWCA, which is yes. wonderful. And then there is RAIN, or um, they have the National Sexual Assault Hotline, and that number is 1-800-656-4673. They're available 24 hours every day. It's confidential help, and it's free. And what's great about YWCA, if it is in your community, is they have a hotline as well, so it's probably different depending on your community. And then they also have shelters there. I'm not sure if that's, you know, in Missoula where we lived, there was a shelter there, so if you were in a situation where you were afraid to go home like because of domestic abuse or stalking or something like that you could go there and i believe they were able to accommodate children as well so i work at a hospital i know i need to educate myself more on available in the community but um the hospital that i work at uh, has a committee and employees that do the rape kits um, they also provide like counseling and support to people that come in for an exam. Um, I know that we do have a YWCA here. Yes, if you feel like you need to talk to somebody, if you want to talk to us, if you want to um, find more resources and you need help with that, we can certainly help. Um, but thanks for listening. I hope that whoever you are, you if you have experiences that you want to talk to somebody about I feel hope that you feel supported enough to come forward and safe enough to come forward and if you're not ready that you're not ready yeah and I would also just like to end with um you know maybe you're a bystander and you see something weird going on it is always better to intervene well I shouldn't say that that's a lie it might be unsafe for you to intervene but if you feel like you're in a situation where you're safe and you can intervene in some way that might help someone, it might help them out. And intervention can be as easy as calling 911. So right. don't put yourself in a situation where you're gonna get hurt, but you can always look out for people around you. And especially maybe someone who is by themselves, doesn't have anyone to back them up and needs a little help, you know? Right. You know, usually if you have that gut feeling that you should say something, I think you should say it. Um, I always, 
sometimes I'm not a very outspoken person. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be quiet <laughs> and yeah. unnoticed. It's hard. It's scary sometimes, you know? You know, I would rather feel embarrassed that I was wrong than um, yeah. not say anything. And I was right in that the situation or somebody needed help. So Right. And we could talk about that in another video. Yeah, we should totally do that. And I just want to say, like, intervention can also be something where you're not even approaching the perpetrator, but approaching the victim of that. So, like, if someone has got yelled at and is obviously scared or intimidated, you can approach that person and say, hey, so I think this is weird. Do you want to come talk to me about Stranger Things uh, season two coming up and just yes. kind of like get them out of the situation that is obviously uncomfortable and unsafe. And at that time, you can, if you have another friend with you, ask them to call 911 if it's like, you know, a hate crime or harassment or something that's really scary. Or you can just move them away into their own safe bubble with you. Right. And it doesn't have to be a confrontational situation. No. And sometimes confrontational, like, you kind of want to de-escalate things rather than escalate things. Because when you escalate things, that's when things can get violent and scary. Obviously, no one's going to be an expert, and especially in this five minutes that we've been talking about bystander intervention. But maybe this is something we should talk about in another Nice People Advice. I think it could be a good podcast. I think that'd be a great podcast. And you guys, you can give us scenarios and ask us how we would intervene. That might be kind of fun. Yeah, or maybe situations that you've intervened. Or yeah, like personal wish stories. Wish you would have. Yes. Because there are situations where I regret that I didn't say anything. Yes, and then there are situations where I have like tried to intervene and the person's like, fuck off. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to help you. Yeah, you're drunk and walking in the middle of the street. I'm going to call the cops now. <laughs> Do you remember that one time when we went out? We were at Club Cigar here in Great Falls, Montana. Mm-hmm. Yes. And... That one guy was would not stop talking to us, mm-hmm. and he, like, fell yep. when he was talking to us, and he got into his car to drive, and so I was like, Sarah, should we say something? And then, of course, Super Sarah, she was yeah. like, yeah, we should. I went up to his window and was like, um, we don't think you should be driving, and he's like, uh, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, okay. And then. And he drove off, and he yeah. was not fine. He was not. Did we call 911? And I'm pretty did sure we, we called the cops with... I yes, think... we did. Okay, because mm-hmm. I was like, this is not good. This is bad. Like, luckily... He could barely walk. <laughs> he could barely walk. Luckily, it was like a weird weekday night, so there weren't too many people, but that does not mean he couldn't have killed himself or others. So... Well, thanks, guys, for listening, as always. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them in the comment section. We'd be happy to talk to you about anything. Be nice, people. Bye-bye. Bye.